Hello and welcome to another edition of History After Hours podcast. My name is Kevin Pumphrey and this podcast episode was another live recording at Collective Coffee and Tea in downtown Hot Springs. We want to thank them for having us out and all the students that showed up as well. We also were kind of opened up by a quartet of musicians as part of the Lakeside's jazz group. And so it was awesome. They played some great jazz music. And then David Hicks, a student, a junior from Lakeside, uh, and me and Mr. Franklin played a few tunes as usual. And then joining me and Mr. Franklin was Dr. Christopher Thrasher from National Park and our colleague at Lakeside, the AP government teacher, Mr. Jeremy Nixon. And the students brought it once again, some very creative questions. We really enjoyed this podcast. We want to shout out again to Miss Abby Hanks, our producer, and puts a lot of this stuff together. Once again, if you like the podcast, please share it with people you know or people that you think might find it useful. These live podcasts are very, very fun for us to do. We never know what questions are going to be asked next. So I hope that you enjoy this podcast. Okay, we are live at Collective Coffee once again. I believe it's January 14th, 14th, 2020. Happy New Year, everybody. And we already have students ready to go, so here they come. All right, my name's Abby Poole, and my question is, well, a group of us were talking the other day about um, some factory workers and their horror, horror stories about being mutilated. So my question is, um, what are some horror stories from work that you've heard of or experienced? Horror stories from work. <laughs> I've, I've actually got a really good one if you want to be gruesome. Uh, let's let's, let's yeah, start let's, that way. Okay, yes. we'll, we'll start with gruesome. So uh, I am a, I'm a happily married man, but I do not wear a wedding ring. I don't wear any jewelry. I don't wear rings. Never have, never will. And the reason is, before I was a teacher, I was a welder. Uh, and so I would go into the welding shop, and there was a little locker room area, uh, and the, the boss was always very adamant, take off all your rings, take off all your jewelry, there's no place for it in the welding shop, uh, and people didn't listen. And then eventually, somebody who did not listen had an accident. And so I came into work one day, and there was a, a banner that said, how many times do I have to tell you to take your rings off? And what there was, was there was a picture of a finger of someone I had known uh, and a wedding ring and a tendon going all the way up the arm. And to this day, I cannot put on a ring. I can't hardly look at a ring without seeing that picture. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't, I don't wear Everyone a ring. remove your wedding rings. So, well, that didn't, okay, well. so I, I noticed this is, you said that it was someone you had known. Is there more to that story? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, he, he didn't he didn't come to work back to work after that. Mm. I think without I think that finger, was, he just wasn't the same. <laughs> he was never the same man. The man I used I just, to know. I just I never saw him after that. I think I, I think he ended up going on disability. I think there was more than just Jeez. a finger. That was it was it was a bad yeah. accident. What's uh, so the welding shop? Yeah. What what did he get caught? In? I believe it was a drill press. I believe it was like an industrial drill press. Yeah. That caught kind of caught in the ring yeah. and then. Yeah. Wow. 
We're going to be reading excerpts from The Jungle. (laughs) 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 There's some gruesome stories there. Keep asking questions. I've got answers. (laughs) We would just have to work harder. uh, What's the most dangerous environment you've worked in? Uh, in Seventh period this year. (laughs) (laughs) You know who you are. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a... I've all I've been I went from dairy farm to teacher so dairy farming dairy farm I bet you've got some real good stories oh, about life yeah. on the farm boy yes I've seen the grossest <laughs> things I'm I'm not gonna go into if they're <laughs> horrific if you just grow up on a farm with animals you're gonna see a, experience a lot of stuff people getting kicked in well like, places or you know I mean I was 13 getting woken up by my dad to go pull a calf because it was breach inside of, you know and yeah. artificially inseminate. Just, you know, horrific stuff. The horning. Um, yeah. That's why I'm a teacher, everybody. So that's, that's just mucky. It's not necessarily dangerous for you, though, yeah? Or I guess it could cow, be. Uh, oh, no, no. Depends I've on the cow's temperament at that moment. Popped up by a bull. Yeah. Uh, my brother got t- sh- shot 15 feet in the air and nearly got oh, trampled. Oh, like running of the bulls kind of thing? Kind of like that, yeah. it wasn't much of a run. <laughs> he was feeding all the heifers. We have a bull. He was. Uh, we know to watch for it. He turned his back and was walking back to the car, and then he was up in the air because mm. that bull just, you know, their necks are just so strong. Got him right here and just, and would have killed him. It hit the truck. The truck goes up. He gets under the truck oh, wow. to safety. But, yeah, there's, it was a, uh, my dad had me do crazy, get on top of that barn and nail the tin down, and the barn's <laughs> barely standing. But as a kid, you're like, yes, father. <laughs> and I'm up there. I should have gotten tetanus every day. Oh, I remember getting shocked. We have a big metal tank. Shot? And shocked. Shocked. Okay. We have a big metal tank. We got vats full of hot water. We're gonna, we have to sanitize the pots every day. Yeah. And I was leaning against the tank, and then I reached in to get a bottle from the water. It's just like, okay, yeah. I don't think the wiring's good <laughs> in here. Yeah, it's, it's constant. So, yes. Uh, before I was a teacher, I worked in retail grocery, and we uh, had meat cutters on premises as opposed to the uh, big box stores that you have now where they just sort of come out with prepackaged meats. And so we had saws and things running in the back, and there's all kinds of safety equipment. And, you know, every now and then a guy would come out holding himself tightly and go, ah, I need to see somebody. And so, you know, spiral cut fingers and things like that are, are pretty normal. I've heard of people, um, I don't remember where this was now, somewhere here in Arkansas, I think, where a butcher had some sort of attack of some sort and, f- like, leaned over head first into a bandsaw. That's not a cute story. Um, but the worst thing that ever happened to me, which is like almost, you have, we have all these uh, refrigeration units that run the store uh, and, and keep everything cool, you know, all the, the freezers all the way through the, the, the milk sections and all of that. And somewhere in the store, there's this massive room with just giant motors running consistently to, to keep all that Freon circulating. Um, and so the, the, the company I worked for, they, we had to do the refrigeration uh, work. And so anything, anytime something went down, we'd go in. So I'm down there working with another guy who'd come to help. He's, he was the expert. I was kind of the helper. And uh, all of a sudden, there are these big tanks of Freon, and I hear this thing go, shh, and it just sort of hissing, and things got gray. And he runs over, flips on a, uh, a ventilation fan that was on the wall, and he yells at me because I was like, hey, and we made it to the door, and I bet the whole episode didn't take maybe 30 seconds. And we get outside, and he said, take deep breaths. And I'm like, cool. And I did, 
but I had noticed that there was this darkness that was coming into my peripheral and Ooh. making a tunnel vision kind of thing. That's and he goes, <laughs> we almost died. And I'm like, <laughs> pray tell. Is that what almost happened to us? And so I decided then I probably needed to get out of the refrigeration business for sure. Um, but yeah, that, just, just that quick, I realized that, I mean, I, and I think I could have passed out and never come back to again. I mean, that was a crazy little episode for me. Mm. Nixon, uh, any? Well, I mean, I grew up on a farm, too, which most people don't believe, but I... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't believe it. Next! <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, uh, we used to slaughter our own hogs, and so I've seen literally how the sausage is made. That's really gross. Um, as far as workplace accidents, I'm lucky I haven't, I haven't been in any. I haven't really seen any, but I worked in... Uh, I worked at the Workers' Compensation Commission for two years, so I've read about just about any kind of <laughs> oh, industrial <laughs> accident you can have. Um, but I don't have any, per- you know, firsthand. Uh, so. OSHA exists for a reason. Yeah. Occupational it, it Safety really and Hazard Administration, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Okay, next president. Interesting next, first next question. <laughs> next question. Hi, my name is Zeta Guzmanacha, and yes, I am the next president. Um, <laughs> I was wondering if you gentlemen have New Year's resolutions. I don't, but I would vote for you if I could. <laughs> yeah. That's your, you've resolved <laughs> that in your life. Uh, I typically don't make resolutions other than to sort of, you know, just generally to be better than I was yesterday. I mean, that's kind of a daily thing, though. I don't know. I, I, do you think that's still a tradition? Do people actually sit down and go, I resolve to? I mean, yes. I don't know. Well, it, I'll tell you this. Do I people do that? I was a personal trainer at a gym for several years. <laughs> and, buddy, buckle up for January and February. <laughs> and then all those people leave. Yeah. And then by March, it's all cleared out. So resolutions do exist with that. I'm going to start exercise. I'm going to go to the gym. That, I mean, we had to just get ready for the first few weeks of January because they're, they're coming ready to sign up. Yeah. I'm going to get in shape. And then they don't. So I don't do res- no, I don't do any. Uh, they they resolve to be hypocritical. I'm gonna do it yeah. really really well this time. Yeah okay. Yeah. yeah. Hey, but that's one thing to accomplish. I yeah I mean. Right. No, I mean the hypocrite part. Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Check that box. Yeah. What about you guys? Resolutions to? I, I don't do resolutions. I. I kind of reject the concept. I think if there's, if it occurs to me, hey, you know what I really ought to do? Well, if I really ought to do it, maybe start today. Yeah. Uh, maybe like now would be a good time to go ahead and, you know, that is actually harass a personal trainer. You don't need to wait for the, the uh, ball to drop to I just, make I, changes I, I, in your life. Yeah, there's some exercise psychology behind that too. Those people that, oh, I'm going to, I'll start next week and yeah. this week I'm going to pig out and all that. Yeah. And next week sometimes doesn't ever come <laughs> and then. It's a new year. It's a new me. <laughs> no, no, really, it's the same old you. Yeah. All right, next question. Hi, my name is Evan Jordan. Um, with uh, rising conflicts in other foreign countries, do you think we'll ever evolve past the idea of war, or will it be a concept here to stay, or could we possibly get past? Could we ever evolve past war? Mm, no. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I guess I as long as we're fighting over resources to some degree, there's always going to be the, the needs. You know, there'll be, what is Thomas Malthus, even though he was kind of wrong. But just there's always going to be poverty. There's always going to be the rich. There's always going to be, I don't know. I mean, even in Star Trek, which was, <laughs> you know, uh, they, they had war. 
I don't know, that would be wishful thinking, I think. This is the, the kind of goes to the, the whole Space Force thing, which I know sounds ridiculous, and we all made fun of it. It does but sound you, ridiculous. You do have to kind of assume that if we kept going and, and people, other countries were going to outer space as easily as, you know, it got easier and easier, why wouldn't there be conflicts in space? It seems like there would be if we start mining the moon for resources and, or asteroids or whatever. It seems like that's a legitimate concern, you know, not next year or even next decade, but it, it does seem like, I mean, because we all, we all think of this, oh, it's International Space Station and we've all, mm, well, that's okay as long as one or two countries have got these agreements going and there's nothing really to gain. But as soon as we get the technology to start mining things in space and really get in something, there might be some, I don't know, I, I hope not. I mean, there are individual couples who can't come through contract resolution very easily, so can we get entire nations on the planet to do the same thing? I mean, I'm not trying to be n negative, but at the same time, I don't know. I mean, the reality is, like you said, I think competition for resources is going to drive that down. Who's stepping on whom to get what, and people are willing to fight for things. It's sad, I think, you know. Um, Maybe when AI takes over everything and there are no humans. Once, th once, th once the robots are... Yeah, there's no need for... I don't know, maybe. All right. Okay. Hi, I'm Savannah Godwin, and my question is, if you found out that you would die in the next year, how would you live differently? Yeah, we talked a little bit about that in class the other day, how, how that would change things. Anybody? Okay, so <coughs> here, let me set it up. One, I've, I've said this before, I think, on the podcast, but humans are really good at compartmentalizing. We all have this fact that's coming one day that we're no longer going to exist in this current form, this life, whatever. And whatever happens next, that's up to you. But knowing the fact that we're going to die should weigh heavily on us constantly. Like, oh, I've got to squeeze every bit out of life as possible. But we don't have that. That's some, something in the distant future that's probably going to happen to somebody else. And as a matter of fact, I feel like I'm, not, I'm, I'm somehow going to get by it. <laughs> like, death will come for everybody else but not me. There's something special about me. Everybody has that feeling. But what if you would, first of all, first question, if you could know the date, that it would happen, would you? And secondly, if you found out that your date was in a couple years, would you go to work the next day? Would you, how would it change your daily routine if you knew? So, good luck. Uh, well, uh, would you want to know the date? I don't think you expire from uh, this planet. I kind of like the ob oblivion, you know, scenario. Came hit me out of the blue, perhaps. I. I don't know. I've got I've got mixed emotions about that, and I'll tell you why. Uh, little sad story. Um, a guy that I went to high school with, who was sort of like this walking Tommy Hilfiger ad. He was just like he was his you know his family was really tight knit, and they're sort of all American dream. And he had you know he was uh, pretty much good at anything that he he put his mind to. Um, sort of life was sort of set up for him seemingly, and he was on a path to success. Um, very intelligent guy, you know, good-natured, wasn't, you know, egotistical, really, and uh, just fun to be around. And about two years after we graduated high school, and he's in the middle of, you know, his second year in college, he calls me for Christmas, and he's like, hey, man, Merry Christmas, something, something. And then, he, then the, word, um, the word leukemia snuck out of his mouth, and I was like, ooh, what now? And he's like, yeah, I've been diagnosed with leukemia, we're going, I'm headed to Baylor, we're going to get, you know. And I was like, ah, oh, bro. So, I mean, he... Not that he had the exact date, 
But this is something that's going to be difficult to try to survive. And he fought it as long as he could, and so bravo for him. Um, but that, that always kind of stuck with me in the way that he was able to carry himself even in a more positive, edit, more positive way and try to influence more people rather than, I mean, you know, as teenagers, there's a bit of self-centeredness, I suppose. And, and, uh, but I, I, was, I always kind of think about his situation instead of going that opposite way where people might go, you know, all abandoned, screw it, I'm, you know, nothing matters, sort of a nihilist uh, attitude. He, was, he went the exact opposite direction. And I would like to think that I could meet that standard at least to, to, so that when other people thought about that episode, it wouldn't be just drowned in, in sorrow. It was actually an uplifting thing. Yeah. In case in point, when he was actually sort of on his last moments uh, being put in the hospital for the, for the last time, come to find out, um, there was a nurse who had come to him and uh, she was new and she had to plug in something, I forget what it was, and she was really, really nervous. And, he reached over, like, they're about to put him on a ventilator. And he reached over and calmed her down. He said, it's going to be all right. Just calm down, take your breath, do your thing. And I was like, God dang, could I have that kind of poise and, and, and peace of mind and presence of mind to, to reach out to someone else? And he knew his clock was ticking. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's tough, man. And so I always kind of think that that's – I don't want to know the date, but if I kind of knew a parameter, I'd, I would hope that I could be that guy. Yeah, we all can kind of estimate if we live a good long life what around yeah, what it would family be. histories. Yeah, it's it's really easy though. To, I think to compartmentalize. I think that's kind of how we survived. I I kind of ignore the idea of death most I days. Yeah, I think we have to. But I mean, if you think what's funny about our society, the way it all works, is we look down upon people who are we call them free spirits or you know they just ah just having fun, just living for the money. You know, I want to get. We look down upon that. And we, we praise hard work and, you know, I'm going to do this and this, I, ambition, and even though they're miserable. <laughs> I'll give you this other. That's a blurred line. I'll give you this other scenario. My wife worked with a lady who, um, and I don't remember what condition she had, but she worked and then she passed away and, and actually was working at that time. And at the service that we went to for, they bragged, just to touch on what you said, they bragged on the fact that she worked until the day she died. And I'm like, that, I do not want that written in my obituary, right? I want... I want to be productive and I want to do my thing, but at the same time, I want to be with my family and I want to, you know, I want I want those things to be what are spoken about me after it's over. Yeah. Not, not that I was gone from my house and I needed to trudge through every waking moment and just plow through. You know, I don't know. There's something robotic about it. Yeah. I've thought. Oh, I, I hope. I mean, you never know till you're there. I hope I wouldn't do anything different. I hope I would. I hope I live my life. I think I do live my life in a way that I'm happy with, in a way that I feel good about. And, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are some people that work to the last day because it's, it's, you know, treasury and they feel an obligation or whatever else. And I'm sorry, but I, yeah, okay. I, I'm sort of half criticizing that. But at yeah. the same time, I wonder if that's how she dealt with whatever well, condition she was doing. You know what I mean? So just I mean, in order to compartmentalize, perhaps, just work I mean, work. for me, I think I'd want to go to work because I love my job and I love what I do and it gives me meaning. And as much as I love my wife, I think one of the things that I love about her and she loves about me is that we're both teachers and we're both incredibly committed to our students and to what we do. And so, yeah, I mean, yeah, I would be perfectly yeah. happy for my last day on earth to be going in, teaching a couple classes, going home, taking a nap, and being done. I can see that. <laughs> Just, that's it. Yeah. That's, I mean, me. that's it. Yeah. I would, I would yeah. be good with that. I mean, so, yeah. And if for me, it wouldn't be treasury. It would be this is what I love to do. This is what defines me. 
This is the thing even about me that my wife loves and respects the most is my dedication as an educator and my commitment to, to the students I work with. Yeah, yeah, I think I think I'd be fine. With I do that. think we yeah, are I mean, in a different minority of people that actually love their jobs and yeah. would consider keep keeping going, even if we knew the date. Yeah, I don't think I would. I don't think I would quit doing that. I'm just saying that I don't want to yeah. be. Yeah. The, I don't think that my last day I want to be like in an office in a cubicle. That's what I have in mind, like a cubicle oh, yeah. job, oh, yeah. that's just different. drudgery. Like that's not or factory work. Since we brought that up earlier. All right, yeah. Nixon. Uh, any yeah. thoughts? Jump I'm kind of torn about it too. I I don't think I would want to know. It's one of the few the things day. in life we, we're, yeah. we're fine with not knowing. <laughs> yeah, everything okay. else I want to know. I want to know. I'm curious about just about everything else yeah. except this because this is like ignorance is bliss. I don't yeah. know. Let's just keep pushing it down the road. Okay. All right. Next question. <laughs> um, I'm Hayes Horton. Um, so in APUSH right now, we're talking a lot about labor unions and the labor movement. And um, among a lot of more left-wing political tendencies, there's kind of some infamy around the IWW. So, what was their significance, and do you guys think they were really important as an organization? You're an expert. I'm not. <laughs> I'm really not. <laughs> you got that PhD. I'm not really, well, not in right? labor history. I don't have a PhD. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, we're, in, uh, we're go- trudging through the Gilded Age, the forming of our first real labor unions, Knights of Labor, AFL. And we're about to talk about, was this in the chapter, Eugene V. Debs and the Wobblies and all that, or do you just? Okay, so we're, gonna, we're getting to the point where we have a real deal socialist movement in America and presidential candidates that are openly socialist um, at a time when, of course, capitalism is really kicking off as well. And we could have went down different paths here. So, you know, how significant the industrial workers of the world um, it looks very communist to our 2020 eyes when you look at the symbolism. And of course, it was part of what Marx had talked about, an international rise of the working class. But what's, the, what's the date on that in, in organization? When they oh, I don't know when it kicked off, but we're talking at the turn of the century, late 1800s yeah. into the... So only about 50 years after yeah. Communist Manifesto, probably. Yeah, and you know, he was a presidential candidate, Eugene V. Debs, and got put in prison for criticizing the government during the war, World War I. Right. Wilson. And while in prison, received a lot of votes to be president. <laughs> so there was, there's always been a socialist movement in America. At uh, times, co- coincided with a fascist movement too. By the way, like yeah. you always get that other that other side of the coin. Yeah, a lot of civil rights leaders were admitted socialists, which makes sense when you look at the how it all breaks down. So I don't know. It's really difficult, but, I think, to to get back in their heads what they were thinking. What, re- repeat the question? What did he ask exactly? The significance of the IWW in, oh, okay. as far as history and labor unions in general, I guess, and the rise and fall and rise and fall in socialism in America. I'm kind of going back and forth in my head about it um, because consequentially I don't know how impactful it really was given where we're at, but that's not the, always the best way to look at it, so I'm, I'm, I'm a little torn. Well, during World War II, FDR, fighting the Nazis, big socialist movement. We could have easily went down a even more socialist path than FDR. You know, at the end of very end of his life, FDR was proposing universal health care, things that we think are brand new. They've been around forever. Universal basic income. Yeah, that's what I was about to They've say. Been UBI. We could have easily went more in of a socialist trek. Well, we talked pretty hardcore, especially in my Euro class, about the idea of 
you, you have sort of what seems like radical ideas, perhaps communism itself, and saying, well, we need to really just you know, overthrow the bourgeois and then take over the, the means of production and really give it to the workers themselves so that they can, you know, so they can enjoy the fruits of their labor as opposed to being you know, someone else's you know, uh, a cog in someone else's wheel. Uh, but I think that, interestingly enough, eventually, whether those uh, groups come, go, fade in or out, the, 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 the things that they push for, the things that they advocate, tend to get picked up by more moderate-minded people, and then we end up seeing some progress when you see, uh, basically, and we've, I've said this m several times just in the past week or so, liberal legislation controlled by a conservative uh, a group that then makes that easier and sort of contains it and makes it feel safe for the for the status quo perhaps and then we can sort of gra it's a, it's this gradualism I think so you get you get these these seemingly inflammatory ideas and then eventually someone will sort of pick up the embers and take that and carry is that it on. happening yeah. now <laughs> well I mean just UBI as an example the universal basic income I mean they gave it a go what in California not statewide but on a small level in the 30s um, and there was a push for it and in, as part of the New Deal, and then, may, correct me if I'm wrong, but then you don't hear about it for <laughs> what, 60, 70 years, and now it's back, and everybody thinks Andrew Yang has invented it. Well, that's not quite accurate. Uh, yeah, so Thomas I, Paine I really do think it is gradualism. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we talked about just the other day, Thomas Paine's a wall person. Common sense, revolutionary, yeah. he promoted UBI. So but with, but without, that, with, without that antithesis, to the status quo, then you really never have any progress because you can't change what isn't being pushed upon. So is that Joe Biden's role? You have Bernie, Warren, pretty far to the left candidates now, and then you have a more moderate guy like Joe Biden. I wonder if the noise they're making will add some more things to the, you know, like healthcare problem. Don't, don't you think that, that sort of moderate candidates have picked up a little bit of that since 2016? Mm, oh yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. I, I'm just, I wonder, it, it seems maybe that, of course, Bernie Sanders just is back up in the polls. So. Well, it's, I mean, the incrementalism you can especially see on healthcare, especially um, like the Medicare for all who want it sort yeah. of approach from the moderates. Yeah. Uh, if you like your private insurance, keep it, pay for it, but if you want it, we're going to make this public option available. So I do think you see the moderates um, taking in much more of those liberal proposals, but very slowly. On, on that topic, just a s little side step. Yeah. Have you seen anybody with any clear um, uh, ideas on how, rather than just say we supplement, 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 how do you actually control cost? Has anybody spoke about that? Uh, spoken about that? Government spending? Just no, overall, well, no. I mean, cost of. I think of uh, well, you talk about healthcare, for example, mm -hmm. medication specifically. Like it's outrageously expensive compared to just across the border. What? What? Is there anything that anyone is talking about to say, actually, instead of just saying, we'll throw more tax dollars at this problem, to say we're actually going to do something to lower the cost themselves so that we don't have to spend as much tax dollars on that? I mean, what's, is there anybody, has anyone spoken well, about that? I, I think if you have a universal system, then you have basically one buyer of drugs who negotiates, which is how other countries end up with. Is that how it works? I, don't, I didn't know. Yes, that, okay. that's my, I mean, I'm not an expert, but mm. my understanding is like in Canada and these other countries, there's essentially one organization buying drugs, and because mm. you have one big buyer, they have a tremendous amount of power. Ah. And, and then on top of that, they're also the organization that regulates you and taxes you and everything else. Like and, my my nightmare know. is for them to go, yeah. okay, just we're going we're gonna to subsidize everything and yet not control those costs. 
Yeah. Therefore, the taxes end up going up and up and up, and it, there's this never-ending cycle of just pouring money down a hole. Now, I'm not too familiar with the bill, so if anybody knows more than I do, jump in here. But there's a bill uh, that the Democrats passed on the House side uh, that would require Medicare and Medicaid, like the government, to negotiate those drug prices and costs. Oh, okay. And I think it's stalled in the Senate, and that's about my extent of it. Anybody? Yeah. I believe that's correct. Okay. That's my understanding as well. Um, I don't know a lot about it, but... So, yeah, that's the Wobblies. That's the industrial workers. <laughs> <laughs> We're still talking about socialism. As a Cold War kid, it's, I can't, it's crazy that we have an openly democratic what? socialist candidate for president because that was a cuss word when I was a kid. Socialism, uh, you commie. It still is. Yeah. In a and lot it of still places. is in a lot of places, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, next question. My name is Henley Queen, and I was wondering if you had any thoughts or problems with the stage full of only white candidates on tonight's debate stage. I've been thinking a lot about that actually, and there are two really sort of parallel paths of argument about that. Um, and we've been talking about the idea that the status quo protects itself in the AP government, and that's what you see the Democrats doing essentially with their um, primary structure, I'd say. Um, so I think if you come at it from an institutionalist perspective and you're a Democrat, um, you would tell yourself you're listening to the polls, you're listening to the people who are donating, and, and those are the people they want to see. Now, on the flip side of that, um, if you're really the party of inclusion and inclusivity, should you be relaxing those standards? Should you be making um, an effort to draw in more people of color? And I think that's a real identity crisis right now for the Democrats. Um, I, I don't you, know what I would tell them. But you can't force donors to no, you can't. just side with... I mean, you can't... That's very undemocratic as well. I yep. mean, are are they appealing as candidates? If I mean, so whether it's right or wrong, well, yeah, I'm not for saying the Democratic Party. I think it's a bad strategy. If there's a, if there's a, their own. If there's a, if there's a, well. an attempt to weed out those candidates purposefully and specifically, then that's prejudicial and that's problematic. If if the if they're unable to draw voters to them for whatever reason and therefore unable to draw. Uh, donors, then I don't know. I'm not sure who to point fingers at because of that. You know, what is it because they're not yeah. speaking the language for enough people, regardless of ethnicity or, or background or race? Then, you know, what is it about them as a candidate that draws people to them? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know where we are in that in that balance. I mean, act. they did. You know, Barack Obama was a Democratic candidate and president for two terms, and just because now there's not a candidate of color, they scream. You know, the Democrats are racist. It's like, well, are they racist or is just this just a, a specific situation where this is occurring? I mean, every year, the, does the Oscars have to include a certain amount of females, a certain amount of, you know, it's just like, well, what if no good movies came from, you know, certain demographics? Are you just, you know, I, I just, I think it still should be merit-based, and I know that might not be the most popular thing to say, but... I just think that's where we're at right well, now. Well, and the purpose of the primary is to narrow the field. So at some point, you have to narrow the field. Yeah. So. Not to say I'm super excited about another old white guy. I'm going to be, you know. It's, yeah, yeah. We know, know, it is what it is. the conversation, actually. De Democratic debate tonight at, you know, like 7, I think, 7.30. So watch. All right. Next question. Step up. My name's Connor Johnson, and I'm wondering who were your role models when you guys were younger? Good question. Mm. Is it 
is it fair to answer that question with people who I chose as anti-role models? People that I didn't want to be? I'm not interpreting it. I'm directly asking <laughs> you a question. <laughs> Um, all right, this is going to sound callous and maybe a little uh, like uh, childhood angst, but <laughs> I decided right around the age of uh, uh, 19 that if I lived my life the opposite of the, my father, I would probably turn out all right. Oh. Yeah. I mean, if I look at his life as an example, if I chose the exact opposite of what he did at every point in time, then I think, you know, I pretty much practiced that. And things have worked out. Did so. you do that consciously, or yes. was that something you looked no, at? No, very consciously, yes, sir. I, had to, I examined a whole lot of things in my life around that age and made real clear decisions to cut ties. Wow. That's, that was mature of you for that. Some people carry that baggage with them their whole mm. life. So. I mean, it still bothers me that I had to do that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but I was like, you know, this is how he handled this. I should not do that. So, what about you? Yeah. Role models or anti I'm, I don't know exactly how to say that. I, it was more, uh, I'm the product of my environment not wanting to be like the people in my small town. And that was more of an o open-minded, closed-minded thing than just railing against an individual or rallying behind an individual. It was more where I was at geographically, which is sort of weird when I say it. But I've had a lot of people that made, made positive and negative impacts. Uh, I'll just name one. There was a, a really wonderful old professor, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Larry Nelson at the University of North Alabama, uh, who, who taught history, and I had a number of classes with him as an undergrad. Uh, and that's back when I thought I was, was going to be a lawyer, so I didn't even think I was going to be a teacher. But I just remember him coming in every day, just so happy to be there, and always a smile on his face, and he was genuinely excited. Uh, and I don't know if... I don't know if he was faking it. I don't know if that's a part he was playing or if he genuinely loved teaching and loved, you know, seeing us every day. Um, and I don't care uh, because either way, he did a fantastic job. And so I'll catch myself now in class being Dr. Larry Nelson. Like, I'll do something and I'll say, okay, that's, that was him. Um, he passed away a few years ago, had a, had a brain tumor, really sad story. Um, and was just a hero and, and, and very uplifting until the very end, according to everybody. But... Um, yeah, so I'll say, I'll say uh, Dr. Larry Nelson, God rest his soul. Okay, for me, I had tons of people, and besides my family, who they were awesome, I was blessed with wonderful parents and brother and sister and all that. Um, three people jump out. My music director in, throughout my younger years and teenage years, Brother Mark Black. My high school basketball coach, Gary Shoptaw. And Bill Remo, a teacher at Sheridan High School Steel who got me going on trips and kind of taught me how to teach. Those three were influential when I, they all, I, I all interacted with them when I was in high school. And really my passions in life have followed music and athletics and history. And all three of them made that impact on me. I think those are as far as those three areas, so. It's nice to think that you had people that you could follow their passions and kind of go, yeah, I want to model after that. Like, that's, I, my story is almost exactly opposite, N not always, but Generally, I'm like, yeah, this, I need to not do this. I need to not do that. I, I had a weeding out process more than a, I need, but, I, but I appreciate people who are, like you said, genuine and happy and, and passionate about what they do. And also just the intellectualism, the, the willingness to challenge, back what, like you said, Jeremy, the idea about challenging um, small town mentalities and prejudices. 
you know. All right, next. My name is Andrew Cox, and do you guys believe in free will? Why or why not? <laughs> oh, no, not the free will <laughs> question. <laughs> All right, I got to explain this a little bit. I don't know if we've this talked is, about this. This is your gig. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, in class, we talked about, I don't know what we were talking about, but I ended up talking about free will. And there's been tons of studies. I've is this, does this have to do with, hey, do we have to turn this in? Is that a question what? a student oh, gave no, you and no. that led you to talk it's about free will? It's whether you can consciously make choices or all, we all feel like we do. We all feel like we're somewhere behind our eyes, which we're not. If you were to open that up and look around, you don't see you in there anywhere. But we feel like there's an author of every decision we make. But when you really look at it, when you start meditating, or if you just, like if I told everybody just to close their eyes and clear their head, it won't be very long at all before a thought will hit you. Now, did you create that thought, or did it hit you? Now, you can obviously consciously do things, or at least you tell yourself you can. But I'm not... I don't, I'm not smart enough to break all this down. <laughs> this is a debate going on now. I hear it all the time between like neurologists that can pick up what you're going to decide in fMRI machine before you actually consciously make the decision and even know. They'll say, raise your, okay, raise your right or left hand. They can see it on the screen before you even consciously register which one you want to do. That doesn't make it not your thought, though. It just... It just takes well, a minute we could, to surface. We could talk. We could deny the sense of self, too, if you want to go that <laughs> route. Your thought. There's no such thing as your. Okay. Anyhow. But I don't want to. Yeah, we could get bogged down forever. And uh, this is a very niche. 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 Topic. Let's go. It would. Yeah. So we could do an existentialist sort of experiment and say that. Um, wait a minute. There's, a, wait, there's, another, there's another thing. There's another layer of that. What's that called? Anyway, the, the concept is that you can't actually know anything other than your own sense of self right. and reality you can't actually verify that anybody else is actually existing yeah because there's, yeah, the there's a name for that you can't, can't think see of yourself it. Yeah. and everybody i think therefore i am yeah there you go and that's that's where you have to start when you get to that deductive reasoning i yeah. think therefore i am and we'll start there <laughs> all right yeah that, that would take us forever to break out deep thoughts so I don't know if I have free will. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I feel like I do. We have to act like we do. We teach our kids we do, make good choices, all that. But who knows? <laughs> all right, so my name is Eloite. And um, so the IRA is not exactly known for the most friendly actions, but do you believe that like, they have justifications behind them? Like solid justifications? IRA, yeah. IRA question. <laughs> Irish Republican Army, is that where we're going today? Uh, which version? The 1920s version or the 1980s and 90s version? Or the more recent, yeah. Um, you know, it depends on who's on what side of that story, whether or not they're freedom fighters or terrorists. So uh, we actually do uh, primary source work, DBQ thing in my Euro class where we actually focus on the IRA situation and how, you know, the Irish troubles, the way the British sort of talk about it. Um, so... If, if I'm a group of people who feels oppressed and no one's listening, fire has an interesting way of getting people's attention. You know, if you're not going to listen to me, you might listen to this. Ex loud explosions and assassinations and things. And I don't think that's anything new. We've seen that. Is it, is it radical to do that? Yeah. But at the same time, I, what do you do if you just refuse then to continue to be oppressed and repressed and, and hounded and and ground down by some uh, group that refuses to listen to your point of view. You know, I, you, you consider me subhuman, 
how, how can we have a conversation that leads us to anything that's productive if you just won't even allow us to come to the table? And so can you force people then? And I think that's part of what happens. They made enough noise and, and set enough fires. And realistically, I can take that IRA moment and, and then draw that all the way back to the American Revolution. And we've done that in several classes, too, where you go, look, the American revolutionaries felt like they were patriots. But at the same time, you ask the British government about that, and that is not the conversation that they're having about us. You know, like, what were we doing? We were burning down mansions. We were tarring and feathering people. We were assassinating people. We were destroying merchandise. We were vandalizing. We were holding up arms against people and sabotaging. So, I mean, that, those are terrorist acts. Um, so, like I said, the, the people who tend to be the status quo groups then looking at people who try to oppose them and to try to create some sense of freedom in their lives are going to say, no, I'm going to label you as this, therefore I can dismiss you. Well, you can try that for a while, and, but once they get organized, like they're going to come after you, and you can either do that productively and diplomatically, or you can fight it out. And so I think that's the history of that story. Yep. Regardless of, you can take that same episode. Whoops, you can take that same episode and apply it to multiple groups around world history specifically. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Next question. Hi, my name is Mari Ford, and I was just wondering, how do you think the ideal school would be run, like both financially and education-wise? Ideal school system. Um, I, let me jump in really quickly and then you can delve in. I, but I think that the way we start is sort of backwards. Uh, if I, I think about countries that we compare ourselves to, let's say um, Finland and you know, places like this. And they, their early childhood education is, hey, let's let these kids play for about five or six years. Let's let them figure out hands-on activities so that they can build developmental skills. Let's let them work together in cooperative groups so that they can learn uh, about true, not, in a, but we end up turning kids into, I heard this, this the other day, I had kids in class going, you know, my little, my little brother or sister is in kindergarten and they're writing essays. I'm like, what are, you, what are <laughs> we doing? What are we doing to take the fun out of childhood and the, those, those organic learning environments we're sort of we're sort of compressing people down and taking taking real learning opportunities away from folks because that's you know and then we and then we wonder why people hate school and if I, if I'm a, if you're a kindergartner who hates school because you have so much freaking homework what right. a home, we've lost our minds I think we hit this when Van Meter was on the podcast too yeah. about killing schools killing creativity and, and things like that I mean I I don't have the system. I wish I did. I've got ideas. I kind of like the European Academy system where about the time of ninth grade, we're starting to let you have a lot more choices to, you know, if you're not going to a university, your parents don't want you to go, you don't want to go. Now, you can always change course later, but let's put you on a track to make you more likely to be successful in a more creative field where you don't have to have four years of math. Or, you know, or How many times have, and with the way that I run my class and you do to a certain extent, like we're not real project-based people. Like we do a lot of academia, it's a lot of resources, and it's a lot of just plowing into the historiography of whatever. But there are kids every single year who are like, dude, I would so much love a project. And I'm like, well, then it seems like there ought to be another There's avenue it. for you and it would still be just as, as rewarding and, uh, and um, uplifting. I agree. And I think you have to realize those projects look different in every discipline. Um, well, I, was, right. I asked about something else about, you know, I used to be a, a welder, and I was having a student asking, you said, well, you know, you love this hands-on learning. Uh, you love doing things. 
you know, how do you incorporate that into your history class? And my response is, well, in my history classes, we do history. Mm-hmm. We do research papers. You actually do your research. You come up with your own opinion, your own ideas. That's what it means to do history. It's very different than doing welding, but you're in a history class, not right. a welding class No, you're, right I mean, I, you're absolutely yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Those are, yeah. in a sense, our yeah. projects, yeah. but they don't match what people have in their minds oh, generally when they say that. Yeah. Well, and I, th- I think that's why it's important to have that conversation yeah. and say, okay, you know, you're in a history class. I'm giving you the skills that a historian can give you. You're probably not going to be a historian, but you're going to be a nurse or an engineer that's going to have some of the skills of a historian, the critical thinking, the research, the articulation skills. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to help you develop that. Mm-hmm. And when I have students who are really exceptional and want to do other things. I have great relationships with the National Park Service, the Historical Society. Uh, you know, I'm really good about placing students in those places and saying, okay, you're clearly able to do more than this. You want to really do history. You want to go work in a museum. I know people. Let's have you work in a museum. With, with that being said, what I mentioned a while ago and, and then tying on with what you said, I think that there's this place, though, where we kind of go, okay, we're going to expose you to this yeah. at, 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 an, at a later age, too, where you may yeah. have, you know, oh, I'd really like to go do projects all the time. Well, yeah. let's try this, too, and see if you learn to like it, because I've had a lot of students come and go, oh, I didn't even know that I liked this until now, and I think this is my, the path for my life. Sure. That's you. The, sometimes these light bulbs click on as you go through these processes, and you go, "Ooh, I, I sure. like this much more than I thought I would." Absolutely. And so, but I think that's a maturity issue as well. Yep. I, agree. I, re- I remember talking about adding more vocational, more options for kids mm-hmm. years ago at Lakeside. Lakeside does an awesome job if your plan is to go to college. But <laughs> if you if your plan is to do anything else, really. We don't have AGRI, we don't have ROTC, we don't have, I mean, we have a little bit of that through National Park, through the Tex program, and that's, that's, that's the, excellent. Yeah. That's awesome that we have mm-hmm. those. Uh, I'm glad we have kids. that, yeah. 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 But other than that, I don't know, what else could we do, you know, yeah. for, for kids that are, that are. I know, and now we have a new program that we're implementing where we're going to get all the kids to learn the standards, and which is great. But, you know, part of me is like, what about the kids that don't need to know the standards ever? You know, I tell, my Students will tell you, I say all the time, you don't really need to know this, ever. Unless you're gonna be a history major in college. Like, the, the fun stuff that I teach about sometimes is actually more important to know. But we gotta move on, because mm-hmm. I gotta teach you this, mm-hmm. you know. So, so my takeaway here is that Lakeside will be sending more students to National Park College for our wonderful vocational <laughs> I think program. So. I, think I, think I think that was the answer there. We, are, we, <laughs> yes. we promote that. It's yes. a good relationship. All right, next question. My name is Tatum Hammett, and my question is, if you were held at gunpoint and told that if you didn't impress them with your dance moves that you would be killed, what dance moves would you bust out? What, what caliber bullet are we talking about? <laughs> there was a time, Uh-oh. but this ain't that time. <laughs> when my, <laughs> Let's see it. Yeah, nope. nope. I, I, I crossed over that, you know, uh, mid-century mark, and I'm pretty much through with uh, jitterbugging. <laughs> <laughs> I'd break out the Charleston. If you break out the Charleston, they better let you live. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Cha-cha slide, boy. They'd break down laughing. I'd be able to get away. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, so Are you gonna there's t- no go-to dance move for me. <laughs> <laughs> Another passion of mine, dance. Uh, <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> Next what's question. The, wait, what's the kind of what's the what's the sort of the free will dance they do in? Is it is it in the Olympics where they just sort of go all haphazard and it looks very like they're out in the forest high on mushrooms or something? What is that called? It's like interpretive dance or something. Is that what it's called? Oh, interpretive. That's dance. Where, that's where I'm going. <laughs> if I'm facing a gun, that's why I like, watch me interpret <laughs> this moment. I will dance my ass down the street. Is what I'm going to do. <laughs> Um, My name is Julia Gallagher, and my question is, to what extent do you guys agree with the Buddhist sentiment that greed is the source of all human suffering? Because, you know, everything you're talking about tonight, you're talking about wars over resources and education, and I think that if we weren't so greedy, we wouldn't have it. Yeah, I'll go for that. That sounds sounds pretty good. That sounds like somebody (laughs) enlightened that came up with that. Uh, somebody that's got it all figured out. I think the Buddha, <laughs> he's on the right path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I heard Tom Hanks. <laughs> I know. Why Tom am I listening Hanks to Tom Buddha Hanks? But I heard Tom Hanks say something that kind of struck me that, you know, just being honest and less, you know, less greedy, I guess, and it's kind of the key to happiness. Maybe so. Maybe if we weren't. I mean, it's programmed into us, though. It's such a hardwired thing to, to not want more and more. Um, and really, we live in the age of plenty compared to history's past. So. But I don't know if you, could re- if you removed greed. I mean, would that solve war? Would that end? I don't know. The competition aspect. It's interesting that most philosophies slash uh, religiosities go down that same general path of, you know, middle path. Let's ab- abandon greed. Let's support one another. Let's find some way to, to reconcile differences. Like they're, they're, it's all interwoven through all of those uh, stories. And so, you know, how you get that I done. I think you, you do, though, have to start with a – you have to meet your basic necessities before you could even think about eliminating greed. Greed is going to come into play if you're starving or if you need, you know, survival is on the line. The basic understanding through Buddhism, though, is like take what you need but no more. Right. Like you can't, like the idea about, and, and this is something we study in AP World. We've, t- this is the, we've had a source work on this and where he was chastising monks who were seeing him not starve himself for the, for the, the cause. And, oh, you're being greedy because you eat well. And he's like, I, I take what I need and, and self-deprecation is actually just as greedy because you're, look at me, I'm so, I'm so pious because I'm, no, no, you're, you're craving that attention. So you're wrong for doing that. Middle path is the way to go. So... Okay. All right, we've got several people standing. I don't know if everybody's oh, asking a yeah, question, we hit. Okay. but we're yep. going to go lightning around right. pretty soon. Shablam. If you had to lose one of your, oh wait, my name's Carly Orr, and if you had to lose one of your five senses, which one would it be and why? Smell, That's, that smell, is not a lightning smell, round kind of question. I won't smell. smell. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll go with smell. You lose smell, yeah, you lose smell you're going to lose taste. That's not cool. So you're losing a both. Lose what? You lose both taste. I would. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, would you lose taste completely? Would you, is it harder to lose your, your sense of sight or hearing, you think? Sight would be harder. Mm-hmm. Sight would be tougher. I don't know. I, I, I don't know that I could live in a world of silence. Hello, Easily. I mean, I could. Sounds of silence. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I wonder, you know. Yeah. I wonder. That was the, that's the whole, if you had to be born either blind or deaf, which one would you rather be? Yeah. And... I would always pick deaf, but man, I love music, and that would That's be what I'm saying, yeah. But I mean, I guess you could feel rhythms and, you know. Yeah, Beethoven did. Isn't that if, weird? If Beethoven you never, if you never had it, if you never had it, you wouldn't know that you missed it, so there's that. But if you had it and then lost it. Yeah. Yeah, that would be crazy. Yeah. 
right. I don't I can answer that. I'm there sorry. you go. All right. <laughs> you don't want to lose your sense of touch. I don't want to lose oh, my uh, sense of touch. stuff. There's people with born with a condition where they they can't. And th- yeah, you can't feel pain and, and you don't know the, when you're being hurt. And will bite your tongue. They don't know. Uh, I'd hate to lose my sense of humor. My name's Taylor Bledsoe, and I want to know if you guys think it's fair for professional athletes to have a higher salary than surgeons. You can't sell tickets to a surgery, or you don't. I guess that's the difference. (laughs) They used to. I guess you could. Yeah, right, yeah. Professional athletes make a ton of money because people desire that. And when people quit desiring that, then they will lose money. You know, professional yeah, athletes make quite a bit of money, the, the highest paid ones, but at the same time, they don't make squat compared to the owners. Yeah. Yep. Right? Those boys are making the cash, and this is just an attempt to share that out. So the, the money's flowing. Yeah. So. All right. Good question. Next. Okay. My name is Ava Monty, and I was wondering what your favorite thing about being a teacher is. All right, favorite thing? The almost complete lack of adult supervision. (laughs) (laughs) I can pretty much go in class and have whatever conversation I want to have and let it go. I mean, it's a nice thing about being college versus high school. Sorry, guys. Uh, I pretty much just go in free form and, you know, be able to uh, have that, that great joy of helping students satisfy whatever curiosity they have about the subject. I will compliment Lakeside because they, especially for the three of us, let us have a fair amount of autonomy. Like they That's don't good. ride they us. Know. They they trust that we're the professionals that we that they've hired us to be, and and so that's been the case so far. We'll hope that that continues. So. I mean, that's that's something I think every job, if you're going to enjoy your job, that's probably going to be part of it is autonomy, kind of not being micromanaged, do what you want to do, and that's one of the best things about teaching there for sure. Mm-hmm. Mine's the aha moment when they actually get it and you can actually see it. You're like, there it is. I can't think of hardly any examples off the top of my head right now, but I'll be teaching something that I've taught for years and years, and that's the, like, students will go, oh, that's why it's called that? Or, you know, <laughs> they, they've heard it their whole life, but they just finally put it together why, I don't know, can't, Oklahoma Sooners, you know, or something. I've talked about the Homestead Act. And, mm. Yeah, or whatever. Every day that my government kids tell me they're losing faith in the government, I went, yeah, that's... that's (laughs) (laughs) Uh (laughs) Aha! Aha! I knew it was rigged! Okay, next question. My name is Marshall Ellis, and I was wondering if anything catastrophic in your life has affected you today. Say it one more time, I'm sorry. Anything catastrophic in your life has affected you today? Catastrophic? I've been lucky. I haven't had anything comparatively yeah. to what people have gone through and have to go through. I've been really lucky in that regard. I, I can't think of a catastrophe. Yeah. No. Yeah, we're pretty blessed. Yeah, I've had a good life. I, I really don't have any complaints. I mean, once again, growing up on a farm, it wasn't catastrophic. <laughs> taught me a lot of stuff, but it made me very much realize I didn't want to do that for a living. So, But it wasn't catastrophic. I hated it at the time, but, you know. I can see you like that Mike Rowe guy on the old Dirty Job show that used oh, to be yeah. on TV. Like, I can see you being that guy, just hating what you're doing. Just, pl- I was. Plugging away. Why are we <laughs> doing this? Yeah, it's Christmas. <laughs> you know, and I'm milking cows. <laughs> okay, next question. My name is Adrian Steelman, and my question was, what's the worst bike accident that you or someone you know has ever gotten into? Oh, boy, we got This is, we had this little conversation, yeah, interestingly enough, the, the other day. day. Yeah, in the hallway. 
Uh, everybody that's around my age has the like at least one cool bike wreck story, you know. So. Okay, how about this? Half of this tooth is fake, <laughs> and both of these teeth went through my upper lip as I skidded across the road in sixth grade, and they dig, dug gravel out and all. That was a bike wreck. <laughs> and by the way, I have not ridden a bike since sixth grade. <laughs> Catastrophic. That's it. <laughs> catastrophic. I thought of something. I had a catastrophic bike wreck. Yeah. Mangled my face. I haven't ridden a bike since. Okay. Remember the remember the TV show on MTV, Jackass? Remember that? Oh yeah. That oh, was yeah. us. Yeah. A, you get a bike and a board and a brick and son, we're gonna jump Setting something. Ramps. <laughs> <laughs> and that's gonna go wrong very suddenly. I'll, I'll tell you something my brother discovered as I was racing down a hill and he was standing on the side. He found if he took a broomstick and Ooh. threw it just right, it could go through the spokes of the bicycle yeah. and stop that front wheel and send me careening. Um, yeah. Um, if I had not been in a cast, I probably would have killed him. Um, but by the time by the time I healed to where I could hurt him, um, I had my anger had subsided. Nixon? I mean... I remember my worst bike wreck, but it wasn't bad like that in the grand scheme of things. Like, you know, just a large hill, gravel road, going, you know, losing. I probably had a concussion. You know the tunnel vision that you were talking about? That's what I had. But it was like I was numb. I went in. My grandmother was there for some reason. And I just opened the door. And my mom went, (gasps) and I just blood everywhere, you know. And then I saw her. And and we just all screaming at each other. I didn't know how bad it was. All right. Next question. <laughs> I'm Lauren Boston. I would want to know, like, if you could choose any other career besides being a teacher, what would it be? Rock star. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would be a musician. I, I thought you were going to say dancer. I get that. <laughs> dance. Yeah. <laughs> Lord of the dance. I'd probably, I'd probably work for the park service. I work for them as a volunteer, and I, I really like it as a, as a side job. And yeah, I could, I could see doing that full time. And if at some point I get tired of teaching and retire, that's probably where I'll go. That's hard for me because I'm lawyer? doing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, y'all just go back to being a lawyer. I hated it. Did it nine years, but why not? <laughs> I, I I really don't have a clue what I would do. That's that's I just this is what this is it, man. Yeah, I don't know what I could do more that would be more enjoyable. Uh, I, ah, gee, I don't know. I really don't know. Sorry. I'd be very content being a musician. Yeah. With the caveat of not having to just travel, you know, being around my family, and that'd be nearly impossible. So. <laughs> and I'm not very talented, so there's another. I, don't know. I like, I like, I like the storytelling aspect of what we do, and so maybe, maybe some sort of n- narrator. Hey, thing. yeah, I mean, yeah. There you go. You could be a voiceover guy. Voiceover guy. <laughs> In the beginning. Okay. Next question. I'm Caitlin Hartzell, and I want to know what was your favorite memory from high school? Graduating. <laughs> <laughs> Had a bad high school experience, apparently. <laughs> Uh, I've just got sports moments because yeah. I was a sports nut. Yeah, I mean, I was a band kid, so minor band moments. Uh, I turned 16, and I got a job, and I got a pickup truck, and life was really good. It's a good country song. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah, that, that moment of mobility, I really appreciated oh, yeah. the that fact that I just – and we could just disappear. We didn't have, like, phones that could track oh, you yeah. and crap like that, so we just Absolutely. like, I'll That's be true. back, and they trusted yeah. that that was true. <laughs> You know what's funny about athletics, or maybe it's like this in band, just playing so many sports, I hardly remember practice. I remember tons of game moments. 
And of course, you practice way more than you play games. Sure. But I just, there's something about the games. It was so special, and you just remember those you know, moments. Yeah. All right, next question. I'm Cadence Barnett, and I want to know who your favorite wall person is. Yeah. Oh, my wall, you US history, wall. Yeah, influence. Yeah. yeah, you could. we could just pick influence. Um, oh, favorite. <laughs> I don't know. You have to narrow down a category. I mean. I don't know who else on your wall. I'm interested <laughs> in American history, so I'm also in science. Ugh. Okay, let's just stick with history. I'm, I love the revolutionary period, so let's go with either one of those revolutionary guys. Washington's fine. I can't. There's no, I don't have an exciting answer. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. Samuel Gompers. Like, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Fav, uh, do favorite entertainer. Don't go politics. Favorite entertainer right now, currently. Oh, currently? Yeah, right Currently now. working today? Yeah. Ooh. Man, you're asking somebody. Do you go, do you go like music? Do you go comedy? Do you oh, go I go music. Yeah. But. I don't listen to like cutting edge the last couple years music. Uh, Anthony Hopkins in Westworld. Anthony Hopkins. He's yeah. still rolling. I could, isn't yeah. I could, yeah, I would. I mean, if I'm just picking, I'll, I'll go with him. That was pretty That's phenomenal. A performance. Unique answer. Yeah. yeah. I would have, wouldn't have thought that. Yeah. That's a good one. Oh, you going? Okay. Oh wait, did you have a favorite historical figure or entertainer or human <laughs> 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 Um I was trying to think about your wall. Is uh, what? Do you have Chief Justice Warren on your wall? Warren is on my wall. I'll go that one. And Nixon's on my wall too. If you wanted to go that, it's me. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I am my favorite person on the wall. I, one of my one of my favorite people that that doesn't get a lot of notoriety, at least in our. You know, uh, it should, but doesn't get much. Uh, Haitian revolutionary Toussaint Louverture. Love that guy. Yeah. Love that guy. All right, last question. Okay, okay. My name is Yvonne Rodriguez, and speaking about entertainers, I don't know if y'all saw the Golden Globes with Ricky Gervais, <laughs> and I was wondering what are your thoughts on his uh, monologue, and if you agree or disagree with him. I just thought it was funny. I mean, but I don't get offended by hardly anything, so. I, I just find comedy weird because you can, there's so many people that will sit and listen to a comedian and laugh at every joke. They make Hitler jokes funny, fat jokes funny, but then all of a sudden they talk about, you know, something that's sensitive to them and then they get upset. So it's like, I just, it's a joke, you know. If, I don't you, know. if you know Ricky Gervais's style, it is very much about trying to push people's buttons and trying to get a reaction. And so that played right into, I mean, all the people talking about him after the fact, that's very, it's a very Trumpian sort of way to go about things, actually. If President Trump was a comedian, and we could argue that he is. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> uh, he's trolling. He's just <laughs> he's doing, trolling yeah. people. Yeah, so that's, that's what, that's Gervais' whole shtick, is like, let's troll people and let's get a reaction. That's, that's what he lives for, and so I think that he did what he intended to do. I mean, know? I did this a lot. Oh, oh. <laughs> but I didn't, you know, I didn't take it personally. It reminded me of one of those old school comedy roasts that they used to do. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, they would just burn each other, you know? You can listen. I'm telling you what, if you're into stand-up comedy at all, you don't have to go back too many years to hear jokes that would get them killed today. Yeah. And, but, you know, so I, you know, comparatively speaking to our past when we heard comedians from the, you know. There was that great bit where they, they uh, cut Tom Hanks, and I think that's become a meme now. The oh, face, yeah, yeah. the look on his face. <laughs> <laughs> I was I doing can't that even too, <laughs> Yeah, that was... 
I mean, yeah. it was just designed to get everybody oh, yeah. outraged. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, it was crafted. To he be wasn't that. making statements. Yeah. He's just up there juggling. You know? if, you, if you took him seriously, that's half the why he thinks it's funny. I think his statement was, "Hire me, I can get ratings." Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, and people are still talking about it. So they guess are. what? It worked. Yeah. And he plugged his show. <laughs> <In the middle. laughs> I noticed that he plugged his show. All right, okay, excellent. Well, great questions. That is the program. So we'll see y'all next time. Goodbye.